Lucky Shot brings you this episode of the QA. It is the end of the month, which means it is time for the QA. This is the March 2022 edition. And I don't know about you guys, but March has really flown by. A lot has happened. I'm a year older, did a lot of fun stuff with the family, and uh, kind of have some announcements, some big news here that I'll get into in just a moment. My name is Dave Tim. Thank you guys very much for spending a few minutes of your day checking out this episode. This is the episode where we answer all of your questions. You send us a question to the email address shown below, which is the QA at gunsandtactics.com. It comes to our inbox. I do my best to answer all questions. However, if you ask a bunch of questions, I might have to limit it down a little bit just to try to keep the episodes of a reasonable length. But again, send us your questions. You can leave comments. And I do my best to answer all that stuff to make sure we have a good episode for everybody. That being said, super excited about what's going on. Some of you guys have commented that the videos have changed the look a little bit, or the new camera has added a nice look, or the quality has gone up, or they've been seeing more videos. Why is that? That is because I am going full time to do this and a few other work in the firearms industry. Uh, those of you guys that know me outside of the channel or maybe have followed along know that I've been a police officer, a night patrol supervisor uh, for a long time. I'm actually coming up on 20 years. Uh, this year it's 20 years and I am hanging it up. Uh, some opportunities didn't quite go as I'd hoped on that career path, which super fine with. I'm okay with it because other opportunities have opened up and here I am now being presented with even better opportunities that I'm way more excited about to be able to do this kind of stuff full time. Uh, I get to work from home, no more nights, no more weekends, no more wrestling on the round with turds. Uh, all in all, I'm pretty excited about being able to have a much better opportunity for my family, which is kind of crazy to think about. Uh, I, I didn't think I'd be retiring this early, uh, but I'm, I'm excited to do it. I'm excited to transition to this next chapter of my professional life. And it wasn't an easy decision. My wife and I talked about it. We talked about pros and cons all the different stuff that's going on with our family because we're personally we have a lot of transition and change going on and uh, ultimately she was 100% supportive. This was always the plan was that once I retired from law enforcement I would do training video and all that full-time and now the opportunities have presented themselves for me to do this full-time now uh, it's just it worked out really really well and I've had a lot of amazing people support me and uh, that are willing to help me and my wife is super supportive so uh, you are going to be seeing more content both on the channel and on our webpage, gunsandtactics.com, as far as like information, resources, stuff like that. And uh, I'm working for a couple of amazing uh, people. And I'm super excited about the, the companies that I'm working with, doing consultation, helping out with their marketing stuff, new product development. Like it really, really excites me to get to be working on some of the projects that I'm working on that I can't quite talk about publicly, but it. it it's a mind-blowing opportunity, and I, I couldn't pass it up. I couldn't turn it down. So that's why uh, you've been seeing more content, and I'm going to be continuing to you know, kind of keep up with that. So what kind of videos do you want to see? Is there certain stuff? Let me know in the comment section below if you have ideas, suggestions, whatever, because I'm going to have a little bit more bandwidth to, to work on that. And uh, I am more passionate about my videos as well. I've been able to kind of focus on learning how to be a better video maker. I don't want to call myself a filmmaker, okay? I make videos, but I've been trying to experiment with lighting and trying to improve my lighting game and trying to improve my camera game uh, because I've had more time. And it's not just, okay, I gotta go to work and then I have to teach class. Oh man, I gotta get a video done. It hasn't been as much of a crunch. It hasn't been as stressful. It's actually been more of a relief to kind of be able just to focus on one lane. And uh, I'm really excited about it. So I do thank all of you for support along the way. 
some goals. Uh, as we grow more Patreon accounts and supporters, we're going to have some more benefits for them. And once we get 100,000 subscribers on YouTube, we are going to do a behind-the-scenes tour with a giveaway, uh, a bigger giveaway that I'm starting to line up ahead of time with actually getting prizes on hand because of the industry crunch and shortages we faced when we tried to do the 50K giveaway. Uh, so I am going to be you know, improving that, so I'm, I'm really excited about that. Uh, all right, before we get into our questions... Let's do a quick comment cleanup. I do want to thank all of you for the kind words. Uh, a lot of you have said some very kind and nice things. I do appreciate that. John asks, is there a way that gunsmiths figure out how they uh, custom, price out custom gun repairs or mods? Uh, I charged by the hour. I'm not doing a ton of gunsmithing now. I'll do a couple little jobs here and there maybe for some people, but generally it came down to me having to charge by the hour. I figured out what my hourly rate was, what I had to deduct for taxes and all that stuff, insurance and then what my margin was left with that I would pay me with. Then I would charge for shop supplies, parts, etc. But it came down to hourly is just what worked best. Some shops, they have specific jobs that they do enough and they know exactly what their margins are. So they have a fixed rate for that because they know how long it's going to take and they have it pretty streamlined, which is great. And I had a few jobs that were like that, mainly with like slide serrations and stuff like that. I knew what I would have to charge to cover my time, to mill the serrations, to send it out for Cerakote, to get it back, shipping, etc. What should we do in a class when people make safety problems? It makes me feel uncomfortable. The instructors don't seem to notice or care. Ultimately, you have to vote with your feet. If the instructors are not prioritizing safety, that needs to be brought to their attention. And ultimately, you have to bring it to their attention and choose not to train with them or not. Uh, the beginning of my classes, I would literally joke around, and those of you guys that have been through my classes know that I make everybody raise your right hand and swear after me. It's just like the TSA or at the airport. If you see something, say something. You're all now an honorary range safety officer. Uh, when you're watching my videos, you guys are an internet range safety officer. But the reality is everybody can be a safety officer and everybody can see something, say something, because safety is important. I take my safety briefs very seriously and then I follow through with what is said in those briefings to create a safe environment. Uh, is it okay for you to put a flashlight on your Glock? Yes, there's no law against that. I can't find a single law that says it's against that. So just be aware that if you put a flashlight on your gun, that you need to have that identification before you draw your gun. Okay, that's where I could only see you get into trouble. So like part of your EDC should be a flashlight. It is for me. And I'll probably be doing a video on EDC flashlights here, but you need to be able to identify that threat before you would present your firearm. So that's the only issue that could be there. Uh, gas rings for a 350 Legend or a 450 Bushmaster. I'd have to do some homework. It depends on the manufacturer uh, and what bolt face they're using because I know of at least one company that makes a large frame gun and at least one company that is using a standard small frame. So I'd have to do some homework. But check with the manufacturer. They can tell you what's best for replacement parts. Dave, on a left-handed AR upper, is the lower receiver the same? Uh, for example, like a Stag Arms, which arguably is probably the most prominent left-handed upper receiver, those will fit on a standard lower receiver. What I think would actually be really cool for the few left-handed shooters out there, it would be kind of a unique market, a smaller market, but it would be kind of cool if a billet company made a matched upper and lower set with like true left-handed controls and left-handed eject and stuff. But uh, I don't know if anyone's making a true left-handed billet set or whatever. I don't know if it would be worth it for them to do forged, but yeah. And then uh, John also asks, what about mindset uh, when you're going to the range because you have a range plan and training schedule to be more proficient with everyday carry versus recreation? I think there's still a way for you to find recreation in it. Obviously, if you're going there to improve your skill, to maintain a skill, that's admirable, and I think everybody should do that. Most permit-to-carry holders don't, and that was always my biggest frustration is when I would do local gun shows and uh, events, I would have my training booth when I was doing my training business more, and then people would walk by and be like, I got my permit-to-carry, I don't need no more training. 
and I would have my little cert guns and I'd kind of run them through a quick little scenario and they'd lose every single time. And I kind of introduced them to, hey, reality says this. You should be practicing, you should be training. So it's, uh, yeah, it's frustrating, but uh, still try to find some recreation if you're looking to make it fun. Maybe consider joining an action pistol league like USPSA type events or something like that. Uh, or try to find a new drill, something to kind of bring a little bit of enjoyment to it. So that's just my thoughts there. Let's get to the regular questions before this episode gets too off the hook. Number one, uh, buying a AR lower receiver, but I don't know what caliber I want to build. 300 Blackout, 5.56, 223, 350 Legend, 6.5 Grendel. Um, I don't know what gun this is going to serve for you. So if this is your first AR, just get a 223. Everybody needs a standard 223. However, if this is something, now you already have some 223s and you're looking for something different, 300 Blackout is a cool round. It shoots great suppressed. You can use it on hunting a little larger game, things like that. Uh, 350 Legend, that's cool. However, it's not going to be as mainstream. So you're not going to find ammo at every gun store pricing, things like that. 6.5 Grendel is a little bit more available, but again, not as mainstream. My recommendation is try to stick to stuff that's mainstream just because it's easier to find ammo. Ammo is a little bit more reasonable. And then truth be told, if I'm looking for something bigger than a 223, 300 Blackout, like I said, is cool for suppressed and stuff like that. Uh, the 6 Arc I haven't played around with, but I kind of want to. I'm definitely 6 Arc curious. And I think that has a lot of potential, but like 224 Valkyrie looked really cool. And now I think it's kind of declined on demand a little bit. So six arc might be something to kind of look to as well, which might be kind of cool. Otherwise for me, then I really look towards a large frame AR where you can get like a 6.5 Creedmoor, a 308, you know, stuff like that, where you have some options. Uh, as I'm getting older, I'm kind of middle-aged, I guess you could say, uh, but I'm trying to streamline calibers. So I try to have a handful of handgun calibers, basically 22 and 9mm. I do have a few 45s. And then with rifles, I kind of am streamlining to 223, 5.56 are the same, 308, 6.5 Creedmoor. And I might introduce something else, you know, obviously 22 and 20, I want to get a 22 Magnum. But, and then a shotgun, I pretty much just have 12 gauge. So I'm trying to streamline stuff just because uh, I want to buy minimal. Now with like AK, uh, obviously there's a couple calibers there with 545 or 762 by 39, but you know, just that's my thoughts or whatever. So, but if you want to do something different, then it's totally cool. That's the cool part about America is you can. This one's from Art. Thoughts on comps on handguns. Sig came out with the uh, Spectre. Monsoon Tactical has the ability to do the chunk ports. Being in California, can't have a threaded barrel, but was considering a chunk port. Uh, so I know that uh, the chunk port has even come a long way. I think they just recently announced like the chunk port 2.0, which does look a lot better to me. The original chunk port basically just looks like they just took an end mill across the slide and barrel. It had 90 degree angles, which Here's the thing, in the machining world, if you're gonna have a crack somewhere, it's gonna be generally at the corner of where a 90 degree is. So like with that mod, what I never understood is why didn't they use like a ball mill or something? So you'd have like a radius. So it's much less likely to have a stress crack. Now, they might say that that's not an issue and it might not be, it might not be an issue. But when I look at that slide reciprocating back and forth all the time, if there was going to be a crack, it's probably gonna be near a corner. If you look at where Glock slides crack, for example, it's usually near the ejection port or where the extractor cutout is, where there's an angle or a cut, and that's where it would go. Uh, same thing with the front. Uh, generally, it's gonna be at the edge of where like the recoil spring boss would be or something like that. So I would be cautious of that. The other thing to be cautious of whenever you have any of those ports that are basically cutting into the barrel is you could have jacket separation from the bullet, meaning that the copper jacket 
of the bullet could be grabbed by that edge and it could cause some of that jacket to separate. We have seen that in the industry, uh, so be cautious of that as well. As far as a reduction in recoil, yeah, I've heard sometimes they can reduce up to about that 25%-ish recoil, so that is something to consider. But there's no free lunch uh, versus a you know dedicated comp gun versus a aftermarket modified gun. So keep those things in mind as you're choosing to modify your firearms, which there's no problems in modifying. Should you modify a carry gun? I talk about it right up there. All right, this one is from Kevin. Uh, Kevin added a bunch of questions, which are great. He sent a picture of a trigger guard fixture. Uh, I'm not doing a ton of AR assembly, so I don't need the fixture, but I think it's a cool idea to kind of hold everything in place. Uh, I've done hundreds of ARs when I was working for a rifle company that I just kind of got used to it. I know some people have made like a little vice or they use like a parallel pliers. So there's a lot of different options to prevent breaking off the ears, but uh, I put a little bit of lube on the roll pin when I'm using that pin punch and I generally don't have any problems. Uh, you asked a ton of instructor-related questions. So maybe if I can find some time, uh, that might be a good podcast topic. Uh, I have a term that I call instructor craft in my classes. I teach a lot of instructor development classes around the country. And one of the terms I use is that instructor craft, trademark Dave Tim. And maybe that could be kind of an instructor craft podcast where we start to talk about some of that. But you, you asked a lot of different questions. Uh, but one thing, I'll, I'll touch on a couple. What do you think it makes it so difficult to logically explain and discuss trigger and sear me mechanisms even in a professional gunsmithing environment? Is it an ITAR issue, whatever, whatever? No, it's not. Uh, but a lot of manufacturers from the armorer's perspective, they don't condone that because it can bring up a liability, okay? So anytime someone's modifying those things, you could potentially induce a user stoppage or something like that, and that's obviously a bad thing. Uh, the Gen 5 has an improved trigger, but nobody will say what. Well, one of the things they improved on was the firing pin safety surface. Uh, part of the trigger bar with that little uh, tab that would slide back and engage the firing pin safety has been improved, so it has less drag. So that's one thing. And then you did make a comment like, you know, nobody believes that it gets better with 5K rounds. Well, actually they do because those metal-on-metal -metal surfaces kind of burnish or polish. That's why if you search like the 25-cent Glock trigger job, people were basically breaking that in ahead of time by polishing all these surfaces because with a Glock trigger, there are different surfaces that move and drag and that drag is definitely a direct correlation to how the trigger feels. So a trigger can improve over time. Like I'd get some old high round count Glocks that would come in and they have a really smooth trigger. Uh, it's because those surfaces were polished and burnished and that's what people were trying to speed up with with that polishing trigger job. Uh, the Vulcan reticles, uh, I. I've only played with them a little bit at class. I like the idea. I'll probably do a separate video and I'll get one on hand and talk about the pros and cons. But for those of you guys that don't know, it's a pistol red dot. Um, like this is a Holo Sun that I have here. But the reticle has a center triangle and then it has a huge halo that you can only see when the gun is tilted into a certain extreme angle. But when you're looking through the optic how you're supposed to, you just see the center triangle or aiming point. But it gives you an indicator. So if you're way up here, you'd see the bottom of the circle. If you're low, you'd see the top, etc. And like I said, I think it has merit. I think it has ideas, but it probably deserves its own video. Uh, handgun grip, you know, teaching different people. What are some different ways that people can teach? Uh, ultimately, that comes down to a good instructor realizing that people are different shapes and sizes and different techniques have to work. I've taught all sorts of different people, particularly cops, Small statured, big statured, big hands, small hands, whatever. Uh, again, probably a lot to go into, but uh, let me think about maybe how I could address that in a future video. 
Before we continue, let's thank our sponsor, Lucky Shot. Lucky Shot brings you this episode of the QA. And at Lucky Shot, you can get all sorts of cool, unique gifts, glassware, and more for either yourself or the firearms enthusiast in your life. Definitely something unique and something cool, whether it be their signature bullet glassware or some of their other unique firearms-themed gifts, you can get all sorts of cool stuff, and you can save a little bit of money by using the coupon code on your screen or in the description below. Save yourself some money, it helps us out, and you get some really cool stuff. LuckyShotUSA.com brings us this episode of the QA, and we appreciate their support. Let's get back to it. This one is from Paul. I was wondering if you have used these compared to the Peltor Defenders, and he's looking at my auto noise barriers right up there. Uh, generally speaking, anything Peltor I have used has been good. However, some of their entry-level consumer stuff is not as good, but I used some of the higher-end Peltor stuff in my career and things like that, and all in all, the auto stuff is just amazing. Whether it's the in-ear micros, whether it's the um, noise barriers, it's my go-to stuff. You can check out my videos. I'll put cards up there. I'll put some links in the description on where you guys can get some auto stuff. But if you're looking for high-quality EarPro, it is my favorite EarPro to date. It's what I use in all my videos. My headset's over there. Uh, or I use the micros, and it is just awesome, awesome EarPro. I highly, highly recommend it. I can't recommend it enough, in fact. This one is from Pat. Really enjoy the channel. My question is in reference to optics on pistol. How do you feel about slaving the dot to the irons? Hard no. And actually, I do have a video on this coming up in the next two weeks where I'm talking about that very topic. I even have some cool visual aids to see kind of what I'm seeing, if you will. But the reality is we should ignore those iron sights completely when we're shooting a red dot on a handgun. We are focused at the threat or at the target not focusing on the iron sights at all. If we were slaving it, it kind of negates the point of having the red dot. So if we come up and we then look to align that dot to the sight, there's no point to it. It's not gonna increase accuracy or precision or anything like that. And we're just wasting time by having to align one thing to one thing, then to the target, when all I could be doing is being looking at the target and putting the dot on the target. So they are separate sight systems. It's not like a rifle. There's no co-witnessing. We don't slave them at all. When I zero or begin with, I ignore those iron sights. Okay, I put the dot on, I mount it. You can check out my how to zero a red dot video up there that I recently did uh, just last year. And all I'm doing is I'm getting on paper and I'm adjusting it because I'm not shooting it anywhere near those iron sights. Those iron sights are at the bottom. They have my window and then the dot should be somewhere here. And I don't wanna shoot with that dot at the bottom of the window, which would have to happen for me to slave those. So definitely don't wanna see that happen. Again, I have a video coming out on that, which I think you'll find really helpful. And I made some graphics and stuff to kind of show that and kind of visually explain it as well, because I think that is a very, very important topic. So I do appreciate that. Thank you very much, Pat, for that question. This last question is, I'm sorry, you don't want to be named, okay, I apologize. Uh, from a viewer who is new and really wants to learn about carry ammunition, is it important to have separate carry ammunition for your carry gun versus your practice ammunition and what are the differences? This is a great question and you know, I think it's probably something that uh, would be kind of a cool future video idea, but for those of you guys that don't know, Practice ammunition is generally that cheaper ball or full metal jacket ammunition. It's good for punching holes in paper, things like that. But it doesn't have a whole lot of ballistic effectiveness on soft tissue, i.e. an animal or a human being that might be considered a threat. Those types of ammunition are generally a hollow point or a ballistic tip or something like that. And they're designed when they strike that soft tissue to exp uh, expand or blade open. And that increases the, uh, the effectiveness of that round to cause damage. Uh, I did do a couple of videos a long time ago, I'll post links up there, where I met with 
ballistics expert Johan Bowden from Federal ATK. And he is a, a literally a walking encyclopedia when it comes to ballistic information. But we have one that in particular that we talk about handgun ammo and why it's important to do that. So uh, it hasn't been a widely viewed video, but the nuggets of information that are in that video are truly, truly priceless. Like that's, he's literally a ballistics guru, a been there, done that guy. And he has a ton of info. So check out that video. But the answer is yes, you should be carrying a specific defensive ammunition in your carry handgun. And you should make sure when you get that new gun that that works really, really well in that gun so it's reliable. I'm aware of a couple different guns that don't like hollow point ammunition. Uh, I don't have firsthand experience. I'm trying to test some stuff out, but you definitely wanna make sure you test that, that ammunition that you wanna carry. Stick to a good, reliable mainstream brand. So Federal, HST, Hornaday, uh, those are my main go-to. Gold Dot, Spear Gold Dot would be a good one as well. Those are like my main three that I would recommend. Now, there are some other good ones out there, Winchester, Remington, etc., that are generally proven performers. But between Federal, HST, Spear Gold Dot, Gold Dot 2, Hornaday, TAP, or their defense line, I can't, I'm not as familiar with the Hornaday line. Those are three really solid choices. As a second tier, I would you know, say some of the other good brands, Remington, Winchester. However, then we have all this other new stuff that comes out on the market that is not as well tested, not as proven, doesn't have the FBI gel uh, tests published. Some of that stuff comes and goes and they'll come up with like, oh, it has maximum expansion and blah, blah, blah. I would be really suspicious of some of that stuff. So that's probably a good video topic idea on itself. All right, that is the end of it. I wanna try to keep this episode reasonable for length. Let's go ahead and give away our prize, our random number generator. Random number generated is number four. And question number four was from Paul, and he was asking about the, uh, the Peltor versus auto comparison. So Paul will be in touch to get you a prize from Lucky Shot. Again, guys, if you wanna see your episode on the show, the best way is to email us. That email address is shown below, the QA at gunsandtactics.com. You can certainly leave comments. I'm really excited to hear about what ideas you guys have for the future and help the channel grow. I'm really excited to be putting the effort into it to see those results. Uh, it, again, it really is passionate you know, for me to be able to do this. I'm really excited about that. If you guys wanna support the channel, the best way is Patreon. I sincerely appreciate every single Patreon subscriber that we have so far. We only have a handful and hopefully that'll continue to grow, but it goes towards all sorts of stuff to help keep the lights on, web hosting, domain fees, memory cards, batteries, all sorts of the expenses that come up by running a channel, which uh, I'm learning about as I'm getting more and more into the video side of things. But I genuinely and sincerely appreciate everyone's support, kind words, uh, encouragement, uh, it, it just really, really means a lot to me. And I'm really looking forward to seeing where the future takes us. Thank you guys very much for watching and have a great day.